Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, the podcast series brought to you by Open Banking Expo. I'm your host as usual and today I'm joined by Jack Wilson who is the Head of Public Policy at European Open Banking Platform TrueLayer. In April this year, TrueLayer launched a variable recurring payments API that's available for customers to use for both sweeping and non-sweeping use cases. Uh, At the time, this made it the first open banking provider delivering different recurring payments types through a single API. Uh, Jack joins me today not only to talk about VRPs, but also the wider kind of UK regulatory landscape and some of the the changes going on at the moment there. So welcome, Jack. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Uh, First of all, uh, I want to find out a little bit more about your role. So when did you join TrueLayer and and what does your role as head of public policy entail? I've been at TrueLayer now for three years. I joined from the Financial Conduct Authority, where um, I was there for four years implementing PSD2, the regulation that underpins open banking, um, and then specialising in open banking regulation and guiding the banks on how to build their APIs for open banking. So TrueLayer was an obvious uh, next step for me after the FCA. And I've built from kind of the ground up a public policy function at TrueLayer, which basically means we uh, we're a team dedicated to um, influencing and talking to regulators and policymakers about regulation and how to improve it so that it supports a thriving open banking and open finance ecosystem. Um, we, we regularly talk to the FCA, the Payment Systems Regulator, um, the EU Commission um, and the Treasury about all of all things open banking and do a lot of blogging, which helps to kind of create thought leadership in the space. Yeah, really interesting that that you come from that regulatory background. I mean, I guess you've kind of sat on on both sides of of the fence. Well, let's dig a bit deeper into that then, because I think in the UK, it's fair to say we're at something of of a kind of open banking crossroads, given that the open banking implementation entities roadmap will kind of soon come to an end. So can you tell us a bit more about how you've been working with the regulators, you know, the FCA, the PSR, as you mentioned there, and feeding back to them about you know, the future shape of that regulation. Yeah, yeah, we, we certainly are talking to them about that. Um, in my mind, the the problem that we have in the UK is one of momentum. Everything that we uh, take for granted now, open banking-wise, was created by regulation that was implemented in 2016, 2017. So getting onwards to five years ago, um, that kind of started the ball rolling. And and I think the problem that we have in the UK is that nothing further has been built in, in terms of regulation and legislation to keep the momentum going. There was a consultation by the FCA back in 2019 about open finance. But for what, one thing or another, with COVID and everything, that kind of has stalled now. And the FCA haven't really done anything in the open finance space since then. So it's really pressing that UK regulators start to look at open banking and open finance and what to do to unlock further potential and further innovation. Open banking is is not a finished regulation. It opens up a small amount of data and payments functionality for just payment accounts. We want it to, to look at all of 
financial services and to look at all of the accounts that consumers have so that consumers can have a holistic um, understanding of their finances and can control those finances through innovative third parties like Trulayer. So we, we've been working with the FCA to, to make that point known, to um, see what they're thinking in, this, in the space. And the payment systems regulator is uh, increasingly involved in open banking as well, because they're looking at how to facilitate account-to-account payments, so bank transfers being a viable competitor to cards. And they've just published a, a web page on account-to-account payments, which is really interesting. So we're feeding into that. The, the focus areas of the payment systems regulator are basically focus areas that Truelayer have been looking at for the last two, three years because we're really focused on facilitating open banking payments in the retail space. Um, so w- when they're looking at things like functional capabilities, dispute processes, access and reliability, these are all things that we are totally on, on top of at Truelayer. So, you know, feeding into that account to account work as well. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, your point about sort of momentum, because uh, perhaps that is something I've, I've heard a few people express some concerns about, you know, in, in the UK, that that momentum is kind of drying up. I mean, you mentioned the fact that obviously, we, you know, the, the pandemic perhaps stalled the FCA's kind of uh, findings on, on open finance a little bit. Are, are there any other reasons that kind of momentum has, has kind of stalled a little bit? I think potentially given the success of open banking and the fact that there's there's a thriving market with many, many um, companies and fintechs bringing in investment, I think there's potential, potentially an an issue that policymakers think it's job done and think, oh, we've created this great fintech scene and we don't have to do anything else. But like I said, it's kind of a partial solution to to opening up finance Um, and, and there is really a lot further to be done there's a lot of it it, you know it's a living ecosystem that needs support and further regulation to open up and i I think that's all the more crucial when we've got this tech downturn investment in the space is drying up just because of um you know market forces and so investors will really need to have better reasons to invest in in open banking and things like um, you know, variable recurring payments can get us so far in, in creating those innovative use cases that are worthy of investment. But we need further unlocking of potential through access to different types of accounts, accesses to different types of functionality. Well, look, I guess, you know, there, there is um, obviously some progress going on. So so earlier in the year, um, the regulators and uh, the UK government announced the creation of the Joint Regulatory Oversight Committee. So, Jack, perhaps you can tell us a bit more about that. First of all, why has the committee been set up? So what is its overall purpose? Yeah, so like I said, everything kicked off in 2016 that has created the open banking ecosystem we have now. There were two things. There was obviously the legislation, which was PSD2. But in the UK, there was a, a, a kind of parallel initiative, which was this CMA order, which got the banks together to build API standards and created this entity, OBIE, open banking implementation entity to really oversee the implementation of those APIs. And it really made the difference in the UK between us and kind of the EU that's two years behind on open banking because it really controlled the way that the banks implemented open banking and led to improvements on things like strong customer authentication and creating seamless customer journeys. So OBIE is really the secret ingredient 
as to why it's open banking is so successful in the UK. But it has a lifespan, um, and that's running out by September. The CMA order was just kind of a, a temporary thing, and the, and OBIE was a temporary thing. So it needs to be put on a permanent footing. And this Joint Regulatory Oversight Committee, a bunch of regulators and, and the Treasury, is coming up with a plan for a, a permanent body and overseeing the transition to that further body. But I think it's also got a key role to play in ensuring that there isn't just this gap where we're in transition, but nothing's happening on open banking. So they're looking at kind of a roadmap of, of what maybe the tactical things are to, to look at to unlock open banking potential now and what some of the longer term strategic things are that the future entity can look at. And then I think the JROC will obviously have an oversight role when the future entity is created. Yeah, and I'd be interested to hear what what you'd like to see from from that future entity, Jack, because um, you know, especially with with your with your kind of background, having worked at the FCA and, and now at TrueLayer, um, what do you think will make that kind of new organisation most effective? Uh, firstly, we'd like to see some progress. Um, it, the JROC had three meetings in May, June, and July. But the only output that's come out at, at the moment is that the SWG will be independently chaired. So uh, we need to see more happening and more kind of concrete output from the JROC. More transparency on what they're talking about. Um, there, there have been no minutes published yet, even though they've had three meetings. And there's still no clarity on how JROC will engage with interested stakeholders like TrueLayer and, like, and, and trade bodies in the space. And that's kind of a key ingredient to making it a success. It needs to be getting that input from companies that are on the ground. But aside from, you know, the administration of the JROC, there is a wish list emerging from the open banking industry. Uh, we've been working across various trade bodies. There's, there's a, a few trade bodies involved in representing open banking companies to form a consensus on, on, the, on the key issues uh, collectively and to feed those into the FCA and the PSR who are representing the JROC. So there are some tactical issues that we want them to look at as a priority and, and some strategic issues. The tactical issues, things like at the moment, open banking is, is being quite badly harmed by some of the arbitrary payment limits that banks impose on open banking transactions. And, and it differs massively from bank to bank. And you know when we're trying to do what the payment systems regulator wants us to do which is support account to account payments in in retail but you you know you can't buy a car with open banking if you're using barclays because they have a arbitrary payment limit it's a big problem and it's not a, it's, it's a problem that could be fixed quite quickly with just some direction from jrock that group of regulators to the industry but so far you know that has not been there's, there's not been enough progress on that issue and then another tactical issue is variable recurring payments. As we know, it's available now to sweep money from an account, uh, one account I own to another account I own. It's not available to facilitate payments to businesses. So while we've got the technology there to enable you know, Spotify subscriptions using open banking, frustratingly, the, the regulations say that we can't facilitate that type of payment. So we we just need the JROC to think how can we um, unblock that and enable this 
clear seam of competition to emerge and, and really support open banking in that way. Some of the the longer term strategic issues on the wish list are to look at the incentives on the banks to support open banking. I think one of the structural problems with open banking is that it, it's a compliance exercise for the banks. Um, they're, they're prohibited in, in legislation from monetizing the open banking APIs, which leads them to just treat them as a compliance exercise. And that is the one of the key reasons for the, the lack of quality in some of the bank APIs, which has a downstream impact on consumers having poor customer journeys. So there's, there's a kind of a, an imperative for the regulators to look at the mix of incentives versus requirement. And, and then obviously to look at extending API access beyond payment accounts and to savings accounts, investment accounts, so that we can create this holistic open banking for consumers. And also, I th- there's a of, for, for good reasons, there's a lot of focus on APP fraud at the moment. Uh, the figures just from UK finance recently showed that there's been an increase in that type of fraud. And, and that's to do with manual bank transfers and consumers being the victim of, of, of manipulation by fraudsters. So the PSR is obviously focusing really hard on, on measures to eliminate APP fraud. There's a real risk that has a that has kind of an unintended consequence where the the the, the limits that the banks impose to prevent APP fraud um, are, are also imposed on open banking, even though the risks are different in open banking. So I think that JROC has a key role to play in making sure that doesn't happen and and making sure that uh, remedies imposed in one area don't impact on another area with unintended consequences. From what you said there, it sounds like, you know, it kind of got to a stage in the UK where there's different organisations and and parts of the ecosystem that are moving in in slightly different directions, really, uh, just pulling away from each other slightly. But I did want to pick up on on VRPs or variable recurring payments, because we've obviously seen, you know, Truelayer kind of uh, make its mark and, and, and enter the kind of VRP space. And as we're talking, it's obviously uh, sort of end of July. So we're at the kind of Competition and Markets Authority's uh, VRP kind of deadline. Um, I was wondering if, if you think that we've, you know, I, I know there have been some, a few VRP launches. I've certainly covered them on Open Banking Expo. Do you think that space is is progressing? Would you have liked to have seen it, you know, progress a, be a bit further along uh, by now in, in terms of sort of, yeah, just the number of, of kind of people entering this this particular part of the payment space, really. If we're talking about sweeping VRP, there's clear progress being made. The banks are getting towards the deadline of having to have those APIs available and coverage is good. And there are live use cases out there. So we've got a live use case out there using the sweeping APIs. When it comes to the other side, which is what's been coined commercial VRP, where you're facilitating recurring payments to, to businesses, coverage is nowhere near the same because it's voluntary for the banks to to implement APIs for commercial VRP. And you have to think, are the banks incentivized to create an alternative to recurring um, card transactions, uh, you know, continuous payment authorities? Probably not because obviously they 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 get some card issuing revenue from those types of payments and the, the, there is obviously NatWest who've been public about how they've 
stepped into this space and, and they're open to it. But that's just one bank. And to uh, launch a, a, a viable payment product, you need full coverage of the retail banks. So we're not very close to full coverage of the retail banks on commercial VRP. And we need the, you know, we need JROC, the regulators, to look at that. We need them to consider whether we will ever get to full coverage in the voluntary space, in the commercial space, um, and whether it's even like feasible to try to, to to create that commercial VRP ecosystem, given that the incentives are not there and, and given that it would require bilateral contracts between many providers and many banks, and, and it would create quite a mess. So there's a lot to think about there to unlock that potential. Okay, and also wanted to pick up on on the PSR, which recently published its its response to the digital payments initiative report. In fact, that was out this week, I believe. So, Jack, what were the sort of main recommendations for removing the current barriers to account to account payments that that came out of that report? Yeah, so Trulé was a member of the digital payments initiative, the subgroup, and and the subgroup made recommendations to the PSR to unlock variable recurring payments. It, it made a recommendation that it that the PSR mandate the banks to implement VRP, and and also that it look look at the um the pricing and whether it actually it should be made uh you know free to begin with, uh, just to enable that market entry. And then another kind of relevant open banking recommendation was that the PSR look at the barriers to open banking being used at the physical point of sale, because obviously. We we're not there yet with the tap and pay that we have with cards for open banking, and there's many reasons for that that fall into the payment systems regulators' remit. So, the access to the to the payment systems, POS terminals are part of the payment system. They are you know governed by standards that are owned by Visa and Mastercard, and so there's there would be a lot of kind of heavy lifting to be done to open up POS terminals so that open banking providers could make use of them using the uh, contactless, you know, the NFC chips in, in mobile phones and so on. So that was a recommendation as well. And I think it was great to see the, the PSR responding to those recommendations. One, one thing that was very apparent was that the PSR are kind of delegating the work that they will do in response to those recommendations to JROC and the SWG that sits under JROC. And that was quite disappointing because it, I think it kind of kicks a can, can down the road. And it also, it, it, it creates a lot of uncertainty as to whether the, the things um, recommended by the subgroup will be priority areas for the S, SWG, you know, and, and especially when it, when it kind of, it, it gives the SWG uh, a rec- the recommendation to look at the uh, POS terminals, you know, it seems to me that the payment systems regulator itself would be better placed, you know, with its economic remit to look at that access problem. So I wasn't too overjoyed by the, the responses. I thought they were quite weak, to, to be honest. OK, well, my, my next question was, was going to be, you know, do, what concrete actions do you see coming out of that report? But it, from what you've just said, it, it sounds like maybe... Um, you know we've got these recommendations but it is possible that that not much will will happen but but what do you think anyway jack yeah like i said i think that there's now a lot of 
delegating to the SVG. There's a lot of weight being put on the shoulders of this J-Rock entity, and we're yet to see anything coming out of J-Rock, so it's hard to say whether they will pick up these recommendations and run with them. But I think that you know some of them, some of them won't make the cut, some of the recommendations, so they will just fall into this void where nothing's being done. The PSR is not looking at them, SWG is not looking at them, and it, it'll take another three or four years to find a vehicle to to take forward some of these issues. Uh, that that's my concern. Well, look, I know that as you talked about, you know, there's quite a bit of emphasis on the potential, you know, of of, of open finance in the UK, and you know, the fact that open banking was just kind of one part of the the, the journey towards that. So, where do we go from here then in the UK? You know, in terms of of making that leap from from open banking to open finance what's how do we actually sort of get there yeah well legislation to to be honest i think is the answer because we saw with psd2 that was a, a really punchy revolutionary piece of legislation that forced the the banks to open up apis that they would definitely not have opened up without that legislation and the same goes for opening up further financial accounts like savings and investments, the incentives are definitely not on the account providers. Otherwise, they would have already done it. Um, there's there's been work done by the Savings and Investments Association for years on creating APIs to to access investment accounts, and very little has come out of that work because the incentives are not there. So, the smart data legislation is kind of heralded as the way to unlock further open finance legislation uh, and, and what i've heard from the officials in uh, dcms and, and bays is that the smart data legislation is like primary legislation under which there will be secondary legislation that potentially empowers sector regulators to create open finance framework so that's my hope and and my hope is that it will progress swiftly because the uk is really at risk of losing ground globally as a as a leader in open banking and open finance the eu is already consulting on an open finance framework along with its consultation on the next steps for psd2 so they could they could have legislation far sooner than the uk which would really call into question the uk's position as a leader so uh, yeah the imperative is on unlocking open finance with that legislation yeah absolutely and well hopefully you know, anyone listening to this podcast episode will will hear your kind of call to action. And, um, you know, perhaps come September, we can only hope that we'll see a little bit more in, in the way of, you know, yeah, concrete action, um, incentives, and, and some some organisations kind of driving this forward in, in the UK. But um, for now, Jack, thanks so much for, for joining me and, and for your insights today. Thanks for having me. My thanks again to Jack from TrueLayer for joining me today. To listen to more episodes of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, then do check out the on-demand section of openbankingexpo.com. You'll also find some recent TV episodes and, and panels from our Canadian meetup as well. So plenty of content to listen to and watch over the next month or so while you're on your summer holidays, no doubt. Until next time, goodbye for now.